All right, everybody, welcome to the 14th and holiday edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from rainy Rip City, and I got my man, Sage, just chilling in Southern Oregon. Wish I was in Portland, but hey, I'm, I'm at where I'm at. So, obviously, the biggest news of the day comes earlier this morning that Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum both would be out for tonight's game in Atlanta. It was a game the Trailblazers dropped uh, 106 to 97. They had a valiant comeback. They actually outscored the Hawks 39 to 29 in the fourth quarter. Tim Frazier was the Iron Man, the Energizer Bunny, whatever description you want to give. Played nearly the entire game, but it's it's going to be tough for this team to not win without Lillard and McCollum. They just account for so much of the Trailblazers' offense. They combined for about 44 points. Portland averages about 101 the math it's about 44 percent of the offense sage did you think either player would play after watching that game in miami i mean they looked a little dinged up but you know i still thought they would give it a go i thought they would try and force it but i am so relieved that they decided to chill because this is not the year you want to prove that you're tough i want them to be 100 percent. i don't want nicks and dings to linger i want them to be 100 percent. so when i texted you and asked but well, what's up because it's winter vacation and i could sleep in late and i was relieved when you said yeah dame and cj are out I, was, I don't want them to prove they're tough now personally i am not a fan of players playing through injuries that could linger so i'm very happy completely agree i'm very thankful that both lillard and mccollum and the organization came together in a collaborative effort and really put the long term ahead of the short term. Even if this were a season, if the Blazers were in the Warriors position, like 24, 25, and 1, the regular season, middle of December, late December, you know, is not worth injuries. You need to heal up. The, the 82 games is a marathon. You want to be healthy and 100% going into the playoffs. You can't keep battling injuries, especially ones on the ankle and the heel, which, you know, so much stress and pressure um, and force gets added to those joints over the course of 48 minutes and especially the you know the plantar fasciitis that that Lillard has you know that can really linger it it really hampered you know former Blazer great Brian Grant career he was never the same player because he never got it taken care of so you know it's a big deal that Dame just gets rest it doesn't require surgery it just requires rest but before we we move on you know a tip of the hat to Lillard though he did play 275 consecutive games. You know, he was our Iron Man. It was the third longest streak in the NBA, only behind DeAndre Jordan and Tristan Thompson. He was the first player since 1970, so essentially when the Trailblazers became a franchise, to start his team's first 275 games. And only Uncle Cliffy had a longer active game streak with the Trailblazers, who played an incredible 461 games. So those are some massive numbers from Lillard, who who was our Iron Man, but you knew at some point that that streak had to end, and to an extent, I'm relieved that it's over. Obviously, it could have been much worse. It could have been a knee injury. It could have been a nasty... His finger. I think his finger injury last year might have been worse. That threw off his three-point shot going down the stretch of the season, but it's just an injury that needs time to heal. It can be dangerous. It can linger, but if they take the proper precautions, it can really heal. And, you know, going back a couple years, you remember Wesley Matthews, you know, he was the most stubbornest player, but the most competitive player I think I've also ever seen. He did not want to come out of a game 
and he battled injuries. I mean, you could see he was just hobbling, yet he would not come out. I think it was during the, the lockout season of 2011-2012, and he wanted to, you know, to keep that, that Iron Man streak going that he had. You know, he embodied himself as that, as the life, as the human form of Tony Stark. But he finally admitted over the, I think it was the summer after when he got hurt, he's like, you know, I really should have taken the time off to heal, you know, to get my body right. And I was just too stubborn. And sometimes it takes a, an NBA player whose competitive drive and egos, you know, it has to be through the roof in, in a good way. Put their pride aside and do what's best for the long term. And it doesn't surprise me that Lillard sat. He's a very smart, intelligent player. He knows his career has got many, many more games. It's not worth it right now. So, you know, I, I'm so relieved that they are sitting him right now. Mm-hmm. And it gives a chance to give those end-of-the-bench guys PT, which it, it's always good to just see what you have in Pat and... Cliff Alexander? Thank you, Alexander. And, you know, a guy like Luis Montero, too, who he has a little Will Barton in his game. He's going to throw up some funky-looking shots. He's not going to look to pass too much, but he gets buckets. He's lanky. He can handle the ball. And, you know, we're seeing what Will's doing with playing time in Denver right now. Super sixth man. And he dominated the Pelicans last night. He was 8 for 10 from three-point land. That doesn't... I've, I've never seen him do that except when... He's playing the Pelicans for the Blazers and for the Nuggets. So he, he was he was getting biz. You know, Will Barton, that doesn't surprise me. He is a player who, when he was here, always was grinding, always was working. He would never take a day off. He would have, you know, midnight workout sessions at the practice facility working on that jump shot. You know, he always has a funny release. So there are going to be nights when his shot's more off or more on than others. Um, it's not as consistent, but he puts in a lot of work, and he's driven to be great and you know, that, that trade obviously doesn't look so great now, but Will Barton was a player who just needed playing time. I don't, I'm not sure if he would have got that, even on this current squad. We have CJ, we have Henderson, we have Crab. But, you know, I'm proud of him. I'm happy to see him shine. He's a, he, you know, he was always a, a fan favorite of mine. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, going back to Lillard and McCollum being out, I took down this note during the Orlando game. Because um, I've been noticing that teams, when they want to turn up the pressure on the Blazers, they're like, okay, we've had enough of you. They are blitzing Lillard and McCollum on the pick and roll. They're hedging the bigs. It's almost like they're playing a mini box in one zone. Mm. Um, I was watching the Heat game. Lillard had the ball. Uh, I believe whoever Chris Bosh was guarding set the pick. Bosh stayed with Lillard. They swung the ball around to another. I think it was a menu. And then the, that, that big Miami's big did not hedge at all. So they're really a concentrating effort on taking the ball out of Lillard and McCollum's hands and making somebody else beat them. So, you know, who is the Trailblazers' third option right now? Or who will it be? Personally, I don't think he's on the team yet. No, I, I agree. But if you had to say oh, this play... Oh, if I had to. Because we're looking at a scenario where we don't know how long Lillard or McCollum will be out. So who's going to be that guy to score the basketball for this team? My gut wants to say Crab, but I can see scenarios where he's not that useful as a player. I mean, it's... It's all about the matchups with the rest of the team. The two consistents are out right now. So I don't know who will step up and be more consistent, but my gut wants to say crab. Yeah, he did have a career high 19 tonight, although a little actually a lot of those points came um, as the Blazers made their their late too little too late comeback in the fourth. Uh, I believe the mics on the broadcast said he started the game 2 of 8. 
So he finished, but he did finish 6 of 10, which is great to see. I think he probably had a little pregame jitters knowing he was going to have to, you know, burden the, the scoring load and the defenses were going to key on him as a starter, but he loosened up. I would like to see how he performs probably in that role again um, in New Orleans to, to finish off the road trip. So I agree with you. I don't think that player's on the roster. And, you know, I don't think it's just one person. I think on nights it's going to be Plumley. I think on nights it's going to be Aminu. And I think it could be Crab. And as we saw, it could be Mo Harkless. I mean, look what that guy did. It was almost like a Will Barton scenario where he finally got extended minutes. You know, he had 12 points on 5 of 6 shooting in that second quarter alone, including some impressive takes to the hoop with some monster jams. So it all comes back to playing time and getting quality playing time. I think this team, and I know what Terry's doing. He's trying to give everybody a shot, um, trying to see what they've got, which which is the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. Um, especially leading up to the trade deadline if you want to showcase some players. But we're not going to see guys like Vonley or Harkless, even Myers to an extent, really shine until they get that 30-minute mark. You know, only going in for one shift, five, six minutes at a time, that's really not enough. Even though it is game experience, it's still not enough. I mean, that's that whole Royal Jelly argument that I always bring up. It's we aren't in the position to give the players enough right now. So with this injury... It might be a chance to see what our wings can do. I prefer that those injuries wouldn't have happened. But maybe we can try and make the best out of it. The one thing, we, we've been talking about Myers Leonard's foot speed the last few episodes. So I went on NBA stats. And I decided I was going to compare Myers Leonard to a really slow-plotting big man. I first looked at Chris Kamen. And Chris Kamen's... Average speed, max speed, and defensive speed are all faster than Myers Leonard by a significant margin. But that's small sample size, and I wanted to do more research. So I looked at Al Jefferson, who, I mean, that big Al nickname is for real. He is a big man, not the slightest of foot. But in all of the speed categories that I saw, Myers Leonard was slower by like 20% than Al Jefferson in max speed, defensive speed, and offensive speed. So there might, I really wish I wouldn't say this on a podcast because it diminishes the trade value, but that's a problem when you're so much slower than Al Jefferson. And I think a lot of it, it's not physical. It's all mental. I think he just needs to make quicker decisions. And he had a couple of those moves tonight, but you know he's still in a massive slump. He has not scored in double figures in the last nine games. He hasn't recorded double-digit rebounds in any game this year. You know he's only shooting forty percent in December. You know an abysmal twenty-four percent from three, and less than you know one free throw attempt per game. So that's showing me one he's being tentative, which we're seeing. He's not taking the shot right away. He's doing a lot of pump faking, taking one dribble in, either shooting or passing. And he's not getting to the line because he has the ability to, with his length, just to do those jump baby hooks. We saw in that Memphis series, he even had a shot like that tonight. Myers, it's all between the ears. And he really just needs to get that confidence. And, you know, I'm really hoping that flips, that switch flips for him because he's a talented player. And, you know, I, I, re- I read the message boards, you know, during my lunch break at work. And, you know, people were talking about Neil Olshay's plan and, Listing the pros and cons or hits and misses of his of his tenure, and everyone kept listing Myers as a con. And, and I went back and actually looked at that 2012 draft. Myers was taken 11th. 
there is not a single player in that first round that you definitively say, yes, Portland should have taken him. You know, there's guys like maybe John Henson or Festus Azili or Jared Solinger, but each of those players all has their deficiencies just like Myers. Yeah, there's glaring weaknesses on every one of them. I mean, you could always say Draymond, but no one was taking Draymond in the lottery. Exactly. Draymond was not... I mean, there's a reason he went in the second round. People thought he didn't have any potential. He was an exercise power forward, you know, four-year guy. You know, Golden State had a steal. That's a fantastic pick. There's no denying that. But at 11... That that's that was a, that was a good roll of the dice, and I still think it is. I still believe in Myers. I just just I just want to yell at him sometimes. Shoot the basketball when you catch the ball. Shoot it. He's just thinking too much, and I think he just needs to calm down and let the game come to him. Um, this will be an important stretch of games if Lillard and McCollum are out for an extended period of time because in the preseason he was that third piece. That's what everyone was talking about: Dame, Myers, and CJ. Can he step up? You know, even if he's coming off the bench, we really need to see what this kid's got. I've, I've been watching a lot of Blazers media, and they keep talking. Myers Leonard needs to start. Myers Leonard needs to start. And I hate to dis... If you need to start in order to perform well, you need to grow up and get a little mentally tougher. Because I did a little experiment since there's no school. How many teams do you think Myers Leonard would start on right now? He's not starting on Philly. He's not starting on New Jersey. He's not starting on New Orleans. He might start on L.A., but I'd rather give Randall the time. So those are the four worst teams in the NBA. Probably the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, that was one of the few that I thought. So you're not starting on that many teams. If you get paid massive amounts of money, it's going to be as the super six man or the third big. So... You need, if the benching is really affecting his game, he needs to get a little mentally stronger. Personally, I don't think it has anything to do with starting or coming off the bench. Well, I know he probably wants to start. What, what the problem is, is the Blazers, and for all maybe the, the crap I've talked about Aldridge, he commanded respect. Mm-hmm. The Blazers do not have a big man who, when you dump it in the, the post, the defenses have more than one person's eyes on them. It's just the guy guarding them, like, okay, you know, we want you to take this shot. When it was Aldridge down there, when he was going, defenses, everybody else, all five defenders had their head on the swivel, which allowed Myers to roam freely and either cut to the basket or they would set a flare screen for him because everyone was paying all the attention to Aldridge. There is not that weapon in the Blazers' offense right now, so it's really difficult for him to get the looks that he was getting in that Memphis series. So he's going to have to learn to, A, move without the basketball a little bit better, B, be quicker on his release, and C, just take the right shot. He's, I think he's trying to find the perfect shot. I don't care if he missed three straight. Keep shooting the basketball. Mm. You are a great shooter, one of the best four or fives in the game at shooting on the perimeter. Everyone's going to have off nights, but the great shooters have a short memory, just like a great cornerback. If they get burnt, they're still going to go out there. They're still going to play bump and run coverage. A great shooter, even if he misses five straight, is going to believe that he's going to make that sixth shot. And I want to clarify, I don't believe all all the things I said, but that narrative is out there. And if it is true, that's my opinion on it. But I don't believe that that is the sole reason for his struggles. I think it's very complicated. I think that saying one answer is the entire reason something's not working is lazy because you have to analyze everything, including the matchups on defense. Zach Randolph is a pretty good matchup for Myers. When there's people that are fast enough to guard you on the outside, that's going to affect his numbers, which 
I, I, I get it that people are breaking down the whole starting thing, but there's a there's a lot of things that could possibly be affecting his game. Yeah, just like in basketball, no, in any sport, no one call determines the outcome of an entire game. There's a whole bunch of plays that lead up to that. Just like a player's mental psyche, it's not just one thing. Yeah, and, and saying that it is is lazy. And, you know, maybe they're just trying to drive page views. It's an easy narrative. Oh, we should start. Why is he coming? And that's, I've been there, done that. You're in that industry. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they believe it, maybe they don't. It's, it's all about page views, stirring the chatter, stirring the pot. But one thing I noticed over the course of this road trip, you know, the Blazers, they dropped a 116-109, you know, contest at, on a very early start in Miami. Prior to that, on Friday night, they lost 102-94 to um, in Orlando. The one thing, I, the, the main, I guess, common denominator for those two games was just the lack of interior defense that the Blazers have. We saw, you know, Whiteside had 18 second half points, you know, a 22 total. He only missed three shots, 11 rebounds. The NBA's leading shot blocker, he had five. He completely took that game over down, you know, after Bosch started off in the fourth, it was really Whiteside either on the offensive rebound or it was Wade drawing two and then throwing it up. And then Vucevic set the tone for that Orlando game early on. Uh, just a big, big player. And Tobias Harris got biz, huh? Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it with the X. I mean, X Factor this week. I took the the you know the zero and four record. I predicted that right, but you I, I think were more correct with the X Factors. The one but, well, Kent Bazemore did not play as well as. But you you were the one that said Schroeder, not Teague, and I yeah. took Teague. Yeah. But you know, going back to to the bigs, it's I think that that's a big area of not concern, but. Improvement. I, I think the Blazers need to get better at just guarding those big centers down low. How did you feel about Whiteside as, like, w- would you be interested in giving him the max? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Miami doesn't have his bird rights either. Yep. So but, he's, a really a, he's really a free agent. He's going to get a lot of money. I feel like his team's going to go to the playoffs. So why would he want to go to a team that isn't going to the playoffs? But the... I mean, it's free agency. They have a lot of money. So there's always a chance. But if he goes somewhere, I think he'll be to a, a team that thinks he's the missing piece for a championship. But I mean, you look at it in Portland, he could be part of a big three. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically he might be in Miami as well. He might like it there. I mean, it, free agency in Portland doesn't really go hand in hand when we're talking about marquee guys. I think the last one we got was probably Rod Strickland in 93. Whiteside will be turning 27 so at the time of free agency, so he fits in, in that career arc. He is the type of big that the Blazers need who can defend the rim and doesn't kind of get bullied out of the paint. He, he, he's who, who I imagine Ed Davis would be if Ed Davis was you know, 7 feet 270. So he Blocks yeah. shots, yep. dunks the ball, incredibly efficient. I mean, he's, he's a 25 per. That's yeah. ridiculous. I mean, I, I will say his offensive game, when it's not in the pick and roll, needs work. You can build off that great foundation. Vuce, you know, like, he was killing it. Let's see exactly what that... I'm just checking his his line for that night, because I remember him just starting it off. Oh, he know, was hot. From, yeah, the, the start of the game, it was all Vuce, and I think he had eight points in the first quarter. Oh, yeah, he was a menace. 25 points on 12 of 22 shooting. 11 boards, two blocks in 35 minutes. Uh, it seemed like he would go inside and do work, and then he'd go outside and 
Barrett and Rice were saying that's where you want him. Yes, you don't want him inside, but he is also a very good, effective 12-foot jump shooter. So I just would rather he not shoot the ball at all. He, he is the, the definition of don't give up on a guy too early or the grass isn't always greener. Philly gave him up in that Bynum deal, and people want to talk about tanking and, and Philly. They've just made a ton of crappy moves, and that was maybe number one on the list. I think the one good move, and I usually don't like to admit it, the Drew Holiday move was the biggest steal that they could possibly have done. So that was the one good move that they've made in a while. But that still only is really dependent on Dario Saric because I think if, if you're looking at it right head-to-head, yeah, most, most people would probably want Nerlens Noel over Drew Holiday, but Saric is the player who can really take that trade from that was a steal to that was a straight fleecing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, won't, we just won't know the answer for a couple years. I did a lot of research on Saric back in, like, 2012, 2013. Dude has some skills, but he actually needs to be here to showcase those skills, which isn't going to happen this year. I think there's possibility next. Yeah, I for a while. think the rumor was two years. It's been, it'll, after the season, it will be two years, and, you know, he'll be coming back. And, of course, looking at the first game of the road trip, Portland played the first of four against the Thunder. Thunder took that one with ease, 106-90. to That was another game where it was like we had Lillard and McCollum, but who else was going to show up? Uh, the Thunder didn't even need big games, really, from Durant or Westbrook. That they're bench. Really, that bench did they're, they're, they're coming together. They're really making a case to be a championship contender, starting to, you know, to live up to a little bit of the preseason hype. And... It's really tough when you only shoot 35% from the field. The Thunder have been really doing it with defense. I thought it was interesting. The Blazers actually shot better from three in that game. They shot 11 for 26, 42%. There are going to be nights like that, uh, especially when they have are going into the paint against you know defensive monsters in Ibaka and Adams. It's, oh, you know, nothing really too surprising. I know we didn't really want to own four, but all things considered, the majority of the games were close. But I think Portland got beat by the better team in every game. We talked about the third guy. What characteristics of a player would you want from that third guy? Is it a bit of ball handling, some shooting? Like, what are the main characteristics you want from the third option? See, to me, I think CJ's the third option. I think we need either a one, because I think Dame's either one or one A. So I think we need that, I think we need that second guy to go with Dame. So what is his characteristics? What type of ball player would you want? You know, I think it, we have to have a low post presence. People want to say that the center is, is dead in the NBA or squaring with your back of the basket isn't necessary. Well, newsflash, not every team has Steph Curry who's going to shoot over 50% from three. That just doesn't exist. The other 29 teams need low post scoring. So I would love a guy who can command a double team but is a good passer. In all reality, Carl Anthony Towns is like the dream player because he's such a great passer out of the double team. So if you can build a player, he would be my future like number one, number two to go along with Lillard. Because when you can have the high-low with a big and a guard, and we're already seeing a little bit with Plumlee and the, his ability to throw dime, but just you know, take that skill set to score in the triple threat at another level, it just puts so much stress on the defense. And then you've got CJ running off all those curls. You know, I, I would really love a, a, a player like Towns. What about if we're Luce? talking just, I think Luce is a three. I don't think he's he's there quite yet. He needs okay. to keep it up. Um, he's having a good season. The Magic are above five hundred in the playoff race. You know, at Christmas, which nobody would have you know pegged for them to do. 
early in the season. So he's, he's definitely on that right track. But I'm not sure if he's got much more of a ceiling. Mm. But it's a damn, it's a damn good floor. Oh, it's a great player. Yeah. And then if you're looking at, at a wing, you know, not to say we're going to find Clyde Drexler, but I've always wanted that Clyde Drexler player who 6'7", 6'8", can play the 2 or the 3 or even the 1, handle the ball, just a menace on the fast break, fills up the stat sheet, rebounds, blocks, assists, is unselfish, but can be selfish and take over the game. Uh, I'm, <laughs> obviously, Clyde Drexlers do not grow on no, trees no. and I haven't seen many Drexlers since he retired in 98, but you know he was my favorite player of all time for a reason. Just so much fun. I just want to see the team try to push the tempo and you know play in passing lanes, get on the break. I think we're leaving too many easy buckets out there. I like it when teams you know get up tempo and, and try to force turnovers. Yeah, you're going to get burnt a little bit, but you know one, a dunk ignites the crowd. Two, it can get the player going. And three, I think it's just overall fun basketball. You, you're going to hate me for what I'm about to say. But when, when you described the wing, and you didn't say shooting, which makes me think of this player even more, even though he's improved. But you basically said Tyreek Evans. Tyreek can't shoot, though, and I don't think he plays very good defense. I will say that he is an average shooter now. But defense, on ball's great, off ball's awful. But and I, would, I, I don't think he's as athletic enough for me. But you just—I'm not saying he would be the missing piece, but you described him in the when you see, broke down the wing. See, I thought I was describing Kawhi Leonard. So, oh well, which one's more attainable? <laughs> I think Tyree. I don't want the one that's being offered. You said ideal characteristics, my friend. I'm just going off of the question. Well, I mean, you did—you described him. I know you don't want him, but you described a guy that can get rebounds, assists, scoring, drive to the lane well. Really good in fast breaks. So. I think Evans, when he was a rookie, he, he looked great. Uh, I just don't know. I don't think he's taken that next step. But it is the holiday season, mm-hmm. and I can't wait just to sit at home and drink and eat and watch just a slate full of NBA games. Oh, God. Uh, you know, we've got, what, Pelicans and Heat, Heat uh, what, Spurs, Rockets, who else is on tap? I know the Warriors and the Spur and the Cavs is obviously the biggie. I know the Lakers and the Clippers is the nightcap. But what's that middle game? Do you I, know? <laughs> that was the one game I wasn't oh, sure about. It, it's it's Thunder and Bulls. Oh, okay. I I I fear this so much that the Pelicans are going to ruin Christmas. And they're the early game, which I'm going to have to get up for to watch. But I I fear that the Pelicans will ruin Christmas. Well, thankfully, only ha- it will only ruin Christmas for about, like, 60% of Americans because most of us will still be asleep. <laughs> well, and the only people that will really care is 50 dedicated Pelicans fans, so it really doesn't matter that much. But Exactly. But overall, you know, the NBA, I feel like, has done a crappy job in scheduling these games. Usually we just get them littered with, you know, stars that I really don't want to see play. I think they did a decent job this year, mainly just because I can't wait to watch that Warriors-Cavs game. But I, I think Rockets-Spurs is decent. Thunder-Bulls could be better. The Bulls are really slumping right now. Actually, you know what? Most of the games kind of suck now that I'm breaking it down. Yeah, I'm, just really, I'm just really stoked for that Cavs-Warriors game. At the beginning of the season when the projections and everything was so positive for every team, 
Yeah, that, that Christmas Day is pretty good. But when reality strikes and the players you've got in the offseason don't mesh with the, the team, when injuries happen, it it turns into pretty crappy basketball. But I'm I'm excited to be with my family, periodically watch games that aren't the Cavs Warriors games. So I'll I'll be in front of the TV for that, but it's it's about family, it's about traditions. What are some of your uh, Christmas traditions, my friend? Yeah, it's definitely being about having family. I'll probably have Home Alone or Christmas Story or one of the games on in the background. Uh, traditions, we actually open presents on Christmas Eve. That's really it. I mean, definitely sugar cookies are a must. Uh, the next-door neighbor, who also does my, my taxes, so not only is she awesome at doing taxes, she makes the best sugar cookies in the world. Oh, Any sugar cookies are the best. Oh, ever. you're not even going to promote her business? Come on, man. I think it's Sunrise Book Bookkeeping. All right, cool. It took me a while to remember. I mean, I mean, I don't. I just remember the sugar cookies, dude. All right, hey, shout out to Betty. So, I've got a so, question. Yeah, yeah. My brother married this wonderful Chinese woman from from the mainland, from legitimate China, and she hasn't she hasn't really got the chance to learn about Christmas culture. So what movie would you suggest I share with her? To, what, what would that be? I mean, Home Alone. That's okay. the greatest movie of all time. Okay. Because, again, man, like, it's it basically like teaching someone who's never gone through Christmas. Because in China, when she was growing up, Christmas really wasn't that big of a deal. And now that she's here, it, 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 we've, I feel like she's missing out on the whole Christmas spirit because she's never gone through it. I got this. Yeah. What you do is you go to YouTube or you splurge and buy it, which I need to buy it. Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. Play that. 40 minutes of just pure Christmas cheer. And then you've got just a wide array of movies to choose from. You can go National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for you know the Chevy Chase 80s comedy classic. Christmas Story for the really vintage, like this is what growing up as a kid in America on Christmas feels like. You've got Elf, which might be one of the funnier ones. And then you've also got the the movies that just you know take place around Christmas time, like the Diehards. But you cannot lose going either way. And or if you like the crude comedy, you go Bad Santa. So there are <laughs> a ton of awesome Christmas movies. Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, there's a, any different route you want to go to. I've got the movie for you. So just let me know. See, what I wanted to share with the audience is that he has the Christmas spirit of the Holy Backboard crew. I've gone to his house during Christmas time, and it, it, it the Christmas spirit is so evident. I'm your guy. Yeah. So if you could be Santa Sage for a day, and you could pick your NBA matchup outside of, because we both agree Spurs and Warriors is a fantastic Christmas Day slate. There's still four other games to choose from. We could each pick some. So if you're Santa Sage and you get to pick a couple, which ones would you want to see? Ooh, that's a tough one. Because I've got mine. Yeah. You got a chance to think of it. Um, I want to see Spurs versus Atlanta. Okay. See, I would see. I would say Spurs Thunder because those are kind of like the two teams fighting to get. I see the Spurs Hawks. I see that comparison. But yeah, the the, the the play style is very similar, and it'll be pretty basketball. 
Atlanta just doesn't do it for me this year, and uh, I think that would be a blow. I want to see Spurs Thunder. I think that would be a great game. Mm-hmm. Also, how do you not have Clippers at Mavericks? DeAndre's first game back should be on Christmas. That would have been so fun. Yeah, you put some thought into this one, man. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he likes to ambush me with questions, man. As do you. I do too. I love it. I love it. I would like to see the Heat, because I think they deserve to be on it, Heat Pacers. I, I, I think another game, Knicks and Bulls. One, because that was like a nostalgic childhood rivalry, but two, Chicago. You know, they're still probably the second best team in the East, despite them losing to Brooklyn tonight and Jimmy Butler calling out Fred Hoiberg. I still think they're the number two in the East. And the Knicks, because they're finally relevant, and Porzingis is, you know, he and, you know, Carl Anthony Towns are the rookies you really need to make a point to watch. I would love to see that game on Christmas. Then I think you fit the, the Rockets maybe in there somewhere, um, just because they're underachieving, but they're still, I mean, they're still going to draw ratings. So maybe Rockets, Rockets Heat, but I wouldn't mind Heat Pacers either. I mean, Porzingis has not played well in the last few weeks, or the last few uh, games. Teams are starting to uh, take his, his uh, catch and shoot away from him, so he's uh, having to learn the ropes of the NBA as a rookie, but it'll be interesting to see if he's able to play above that scouting report, because, you know, just a couple weeks ago, he was the talk of the town, so, you know, New Yorkers are quick to turn on a player, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to handle that stress of all that pressure from New York. The scouting reports are fast, man. There's always things that players have to do to adapt to the changing and the, the intelligence of the scouts and the, the, the people that work for the teams. No, I was going to switch up to a little draft talk since we were talking about, you know, last year's or this year's rookies. You know, the Trailblazers, they're 11 and 19 on the season, puts them in the fifth slot for the lotto, which, you know, I feel if they could get anywhere between three to six heading into that, that NBA draft lottery, that's just a great position for them to move up. I think this is why I believe the CJ and Dame injuries are a blessing in disguise. One, it really puts the expectations of a player development season in full force. We get to see what else do we have. And two, it gives us a better chance at getting you know a better pick. I really want to see the Blazers win it all once in my lifetime. I think the draft is the best way to do it. So, All right. I, how many more years do you think you'll be working? Like 30, 40? I honestly don't know. Maybe I'll never retire. I think it's going to cost so much to save for retirement. Okay. Uh, let's just say I'll probably be 80. I pray to God there's some Social Security left for me, but who knows? In those 80 years of work, let's say there – would you bet your retirement on the fact that the Blazers will win once in those 80 years? Well, we've already had 30, so that's only 50 years left. Okay, so 50 years. Would you bet your retirement? I so mean, if they win, no, you no. get like okay. <laughs> because one, one, I'm cynical when it comes to the Blazers. I love them; they're my ride or die team forever. But I've had my heart broken so many times. I cannot go into each detailed account. For one, it's too heartbreaking. Two, again, too many of them. I don't want to relive them. Blazer fans listening to this, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Two. If you look back since like 1990, only what five or six teams mm-hmm. have won it in 25 years. It's the NBA. It, it, I love it because my team's in it, but it's also a pain in the ass because one player can just dominate the game. So, and so if you don't get that 
trans-generational player, you're really screwed. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, that's what happened to the Blazers. They went up against a Shaq, and they went up against a Jordan, and it cost them. Um, so, so th- that's why I'm pretty content with both of my teams never winning a championship in my working life because it, there's so much there's so much uh, of the same teams being competitive and winning championships. So we have to really get lucky with a, a, a talent that's just so much better than everyone else. Honestly, that's that's why I brought that up is because it, it's so rare to win a championship or even compete. Well, I, for one, you've already seen your Saints win. So maybe if the Ducks had won for me, I could be a little bit content. So hell no, I'm not content watching my team for 50 more years, never win a title. That's why I watch. I want to see that championship. I want to be in that parade down Broadway. You know, I want to buy all the gear, and that's what you're a fan for. So that's, that's what I cheer for. So I would never be content with that, um, not to knock you or anything, but I think it's because you've seen the Saints win a title. Trust me, any time before 2009, I would have said, if I could see them once win the Super Bowl, I'd be content. But now that they've won a Super Bowl, I want to see another. I mean, that's just human nature. But, but I, I'm cool with that, the one. 2009 will always be in my mind. So I get why you want it, but... I mean, if we're breaking it down statistically, it's it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty it's a tough chance for uh, the Blazers to get that championship. But it happened once. And exactly. It's it's tough, but the players you get are... Te- you get new players through the draft. Yep. That's why I'm big on the draft. I've... You know, if we're able to, to get lucky, you know, that's just all it takes. Just, it all takes is one. Mm-hmm. It just takes one. And so that's why I'm, you know, I'm fine with the, with the losing this year. We're still very competitive. We're still developing our players. We're still seeing, like, new talents. Mason Plumley has been a complete surprise, even better than I thought. He's almost averaging a double-double. Uh, he's playing less than 30 minutes a night. He just recorded his ninth double-double um, tonight against the Hawks and he's had three in his last five games. And he's a guy who we talked about on last week's podcast, who's still under contract for three more years, you know, probably making a total of less than $5 million. So that's what this season is all about is finding a guy like Plumlee who is better than advertised and who you've got for the 23rd pick in the draft. Yep. So it's the little wins like that. The, the games where you can enjoy, I really enjoyed opening night and, you know, not trying to be uh, salty or throw any shade your way. That was just a fun experience. Oh, yeah, that's I, I, great. Re- I really enjoyed the victory over Memphis. Um, you know, it's just the little things this season. That's, that's, I think it's all about setting yourself up for expectations. I obviously knew we weren't going to make the playoffs or be a contender. So I'm just happy with the player development and the, you know, the few fun wins we get per year. And just being hopeful that we can land a stud in the draft and a, a good free agent and really – revamp this you know this retool that we're that we're in right now but it's gonna be a good draft a guy like jamal murray had 31 points i know they lost to no they didn't lose it was duke that lost to utah and uh you know uh Podal had uh, i believe a 20 and 12 game and he's been rising up the draft board he's a big center brandon ingram who people have likened to a young kevin durant has really done a, a fine job and yeah, they had a freak game uh there's uh sabonis's kid up in gonzaga who's putting up some great numbers as well i've heard the suck for sabonis campaign it's just incredible 
how players can kind of come out of nowhere and really shoot up the draft boards, and I think we're going to continue to see that. It happens every year. But for the Blazer fans who are into the draft, I really encourage you to follow Dane Carbaugh. He does a lot of great writing and video where he breaks down the strengths and the weaknesses of upcoming draft prospects. I've learned, I've, I was only able to watch a couple, but I've already learned a lot about Cal's Jalen Brown, who is a projected top five pick. Still really needs to work on his jump shot. If he doesn't oh, have a yeah, straight line to the back, it's broke, he doesn't bro. know what to do just yet. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely athletic. He can dunk on people like no other, but you know, these kids, they're not finished products. But it's nice for you know me, who I don't have time to watch every single college game, so I can just watch a video from Dane, you know, or you know, go to Draft Express or go to you know wherever on the web and you know look at how these guys are doing, so you're a little bit more prepared, knowing who you kind of want to target as a fan going into that June draft. Simmons, he worries me about his shooting. I think Ingram could be a very good consolation prize, though, to the team that gets second. You know who I really like is that point guard from Providence. Chris Dunn, yeah. Yeah. I know he's not going to ever be a Blazer, but, man, he impresses me. And the point guard from Notre Dame reminds me of a Ty Lawson. Demi- yeah. Demetrius Jackson? Yep. Yes. He reminds me of a Ty Lawson that doesn't have the off-the-court problems because he's built well and is super fast. You know, speaking of Chris Dunn, I think that's a perfect transition into our mail time. You know, we got, you know, we mentioned that we had a couple uh, recording after tonight's game. We got a couple good questions. First one came from Superfan Kim. It says, do you guys think our guys are tanking on purpose? Like the rest of the fans are thinking, I'm not one of those fans. Kim, I don't know which fans you're talking to or conversing with, but I, I think they might be off the rocker. There's no way in hell that the players or the organization or the coach is, is tanking. They might be doing player development over getting an extra win or two, but that's being smart. That's not tanking like the 76ers who are starting a bunch of D-leaguers along with Nerlens Noel and Jilla Okafor. You take a guy like Tim Frazier, and we've talked about this in a podcast before. Would he really be trying to lose a game that just, I mean, if you let that, that sink in for the fans out there thinking that, why would he be wanting to lose a game? Not only does he look bad, but the team looks bad, and it gets them in a better position to maybe draft a guy like Chris Dunn or Jamal Murray. You know, the Blazers have been known to take best player available before. It might be, it might be one of those point guards. If you do take one of those point guards, guess whose spot on the roster is gone? It's Frazier. So why would he want to play poorly? It's not the time yet to full-on tank. It's I remember the Warriors full-on tanking to get Harrison Barnes. But that was in March. This is December. Have as much optimism about your team as humanly possible now. Because if we're in a bad position, things can change pretty quickly. But it's not about tanking yet. Enjoy the wins. You know, losses are a good thing right now. I'm not devastated when the Blazers lose. No, and I think there's a difference between being okay with a loss and being, why aren't we starting Montero, Alexander, Connaughton, like the Sixers, and trying to lose by 30 every night. That's, there's, those are two different lines of thinking. I'm not going to go into saying which, how to be a fan. That's not no, for me. No, no. That's, an individual's, that's exactly. an individual's prerogative. If you want to root for wins, 
by God, root for wins. That is your prerogative. If you want to root for losses, go for it. It doesn't make one person a bigger fan, a better fan, or a smarter fan. We all have our opinions. Uh, so, you know, Kim, to the people you're, you're hanging out with, maybe on Twitter that think the players are taking on purpose, maybe it's time to hit that mute button. Uh, some people from Philly listened to the show last week when I talked about Jeremy Grant, mm-hmm. and they gave me so much props for noticing that that one player. So shout out to the people in Philly for listening to the podcast and going listening for an hour 30 to hear me talk about how good Jeremy Grant is. No, the real shout out should be to you for actually watching those 76ers games and noticing who J- Jeremy Grant is. Well, I mean, he you remember the guy from Notre Dame, the point guard who's yeah, the Knicks? Yeah, the guy from the They're brothers. Yeah, they're bros. So. Yeah, I knew that, but I was like, I've never seen the guy from the Sixers play. So props to you for actually seeing him play and being able to talk intelligently about him. Hey, basketball IQ and athleticism are off the charts. So we have got uh, a question from Larry, who was a guest on the show uh, at TB Pup Twenty Two. The man, the myth, the legend. Does Dame's injury give other players a chance to develop and help out in the long run? Yes. I mean. I feel like Stotts is a little stubborn playing Frazier that many minutes because I would love to see what Luis and Connaughton can do in that role. But at the same time, I get it, he's trying to win. But I would love to see those end-of-the-bench guys to see if they're actually a player or going to be a trivia question in five years. I would like to know that. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I was hoping we'd see Montero, Alexander, Vonley get a little bit more time tonight just because, you know, our two leading scorers were out. Uh, we still saw Henderson get a bulk of playing time. It, it You know, it's still December. Obviously, Stotts is still trying to win. Maybe he thought those players weren't ready for more minutes. He obviously has a better, you know, pulse on the franchise than than you or I or any other fan. He's with them on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, all defer to him on this situation. However, if March starts rolling around and we're still seeing guys like Montero sparingly play, I think it might be time to start questioning a little bit, especially if we're way out of the playoff race. You know, we signed Montero for a reason. The only way you're going to see him perform is in a game situation. Practice can only take a player so far. Yep, and we got to see if they're going to be trivia questions or players. And we have one last question from Superfan Kim, again, at Kim Thrasher 11 says, we need more Frazier time. Would you guys agree? I mean, I just said no. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I he, think played... he is a great change of pace. Mm-hmm. I think he's a fine third point guard. Take that as you will. I don't really find that third point guards are that valuable, except in this certain situation. So it's always good to have that type of guy. But I don't think... Him getting that absurd amount of minutes is really helping the team in the long run. But I think it's good that we have him. Yeah, I think he's a matchup specialist. I think if you're going up against a team that you know you can push the tempo against and you want to kind of let Dame and CJ play a little bit tougher on defense, you bring in Frazier for a five-minute stint in the first and Mm. second half, push the tempo, get the ball whipping around, especially if the team has been going ISO heavy the past few possessions. Bring him in, you know, change change up the pace. Uh, you know, he's just like a great curveball. He's just you know 
a once in a while player to play who plays his butt off, especially as we saw tonight. So I wouldn't play him every game, but I do think when he has played this season, he has had a positive impact outside of the box where you can just watch it. The team gets a little bit more um, energized. The ball moves a little bit quicker. The tempo is more noticeable. So, you know, sparingly, I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, he deserves to be in the NBA. Exactly. Not playing 40-some minutes. Exactly. I mean, he's already conquered the D-League. He won the MVP and Rookie of the Year, so there's really nowhere else to go but the NBA. So, you know, continue to give him a a chance, but uh, these next few games will be his, you know, his tryout. He's a free agent after next season. You know, will Portland bring him back? He's very close with CJ and Dame, which I think does matter. Um, He showed that he's a pretty good player. He did beat out Phil Pressey for that, that roster spot. I don't even know where he is anymore, bro. It's either Philadelphia. Actually, yeah, you're right. But they also have like six guards that are very similar. Which is true. So that's, you know, a nice transition into the upcoming slate of games. You know, the Trailblazers have actually played 30 games. That is the most of any NBA team to date, which Mm. we're podcasting on the 21st right now. They've also played 18 road games, the most of any team. So they have had their, their, their work cut out for them, very front-loaded. We don't know how long Lillard and McCollum are out. I would assume, at the very least, they both missed the New Orleans game. I, I don't think it's wise why? Yeah, why to, would sit, you? to sit Dame just for one game. You really want to give that, that heel and CJ's ankles a while to heal. So they've got the Pelicans on the 23rd. They get to come home for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but their Christmas, their late Christmas present is a, a, a date from the Cleveland Cavaliers on the 26th, and then another back-to-back. They're back on the road at Sacramento. So that's a pretty tough three-game stretch. Let's talk about that first slate. Your Pels, my Blazers. Seems like we've had this discussion every other podcast. It's already the third matchup. Uh, game one went to Portland on October 28th. It was our home opener. Uh, 112.94, that was McCollum's 37-point night. Game 2 was more recent on the 14th. Portland withstood a strong Pelican rally and won 105-101. Lillard led the way with 30, but Plumlee also had a monster game. 15 points, 13 boards, 6 dimes. You know, the Pelicans will have been off since Sunday, so this will be their first game since Sunday. They are only 5-6 and six at home. You know, what? You're the, you're the Pelicans guru. What do you uh. see in this game? Well, I think the X Factor is Drew Holiday. I'm actually good. I'm going to be serious with my Pelicans prediction. I think Drew Holiday is the X Factor. Uh, Anthony Davis has been battling a pretty nasty flu. He played against the Nuggets, scored 19 in the first quarter, and spent the second and third quarter losing solids in his body, and then came in the fourth and scored, I think, 11 so he ended up with 30 points in two quarters but if that's flu that's going around stays with him that's gonna be a pretty big thing uh drew holiday is leading the pelicans and plus minus this month number two is omer Oshik. i think that uh role players always play better at home those that those shots from Ishmith and Norris Cole that missed in Portland might actually come go in in New Orleans. The shots that the Blazers made may not go in in New Orleans. But with the injuries, I have to go New Orleans. 
So what's the what's the, we always predict the scores for these games. So what's your score prediction? I think the Blazers make a really tough comeback, but end up losing one ten to one hundred three. Wow, you see a completely high scoring game. I think it's going to be low. I think it's going to be slow. Um, I think there might be a lot of turnovers. Like you said, the Pelicans have been off since Sunday. This will be the Blazers' uh, fifth and final road game to get the hell out of Dodge and get back to home, especially with, with Christmas and the holidays and their family on their mind. I really liked what New Orleans did against the Trailblazers the last time we discussed this on the last podcast where they isolated Evans on the weak side of the floor and let him go um, one-on-one baseline. Uh, if the Blazers brought over that second defender, he was very generous in you know, handing the ball off to his teammate for an easy layup, and that's really when New Orleans made that run. If the, if the Pelicans are going to fall into the Blazers' trap again of letting Ryan Anderson go one-on-one against the smaller guard because we know the Trail Blazers will switch on that pick-and-roll, Portland will win that game, I think, without Lillard or McCollum. I just don't think that is a winning scenario for, for the Pelicans long-term. Ryan Anderson taking a bunch of shots. He's a great catch-and-shoot shooter. Their bread and butter is Anthony Davis. He's going to have to get going, but my X factor again is Tyreek Evans because I don't think the Blazer guards will be there, so he's going to try to get them in foul trouble. If he does, that bench is going to be even more depleted. He had 19 points, you know, 12 assists, 5 rebounds, and 4 steals, so he filled up that stat sheet. Like I said, he was very willing passer. He had 12 dimes. I think he's going to have a big game. He usually has a big game against us, and he's probably going to live in the paint. I think he's going to be the X factor down the stretch. Maybe with Eric Gordon hitting a couple threes. Yeah, I've got really the Pelicans win- last uh, last night. So, yeah, I've got the Pelicans winning ninety five eighty seven. Well, I think that the Blazers. It, your scenario is smart because there's this old basketball adage that the more talented team wants more possessions, and the less talented team wants less possessions and dirty it up. So, if the Blazers could actually dirty it up, that's smart. Less possessions for the more talented team. Which, I think we'll dirty it up. I think we'll still play at our tempo. I just don't see if those two aren't there. How is Portland going to score over 100 points? They made they made a big push against the Hawks, but I think that's because the Hawks let their guard down. Yeah, I think you they know, got bored. They got bored. The Pelicans have already like lost twice against this Blazer team. They're ready for a victory. I think they can see the West and how open it is. I think they're ready to make their push. This team is built to try to make the playoffs. It's not a rebuilding year for this team. They do have Anthony Davis. I just, I think Portland just doesn't have enough firepower to score yeah, that I mean, points I, to beat them. That that was just my train of train of thought. Well, I, you said in a few podcasts ago that they've only held the team under a hundred twice. They're an awful defensive team, so they, the Blazers would reach a hundred. So moving on, we both have of the Pelicans taking that game. The Blazers do get to come home with their families playing the Cavs. It's the one and only time you can see LeBron and company in the Rose City. Tickets are through the roof. Uh, I think the lowest, the cheapest ticket right now on, on the Blazers website is like $112, which is asinine considering I got two tickets to 10 games, so 20 tickets for 200 bucks. So if you're going to pay one ticket and get half that price, doesn't make financial sense to me, but I understand people want to see LeBron, probably want to do stuff over the Christmas holiday. The Cavs team, they're really starting to hum right now. They're 18-7. and seven. They've won five straight. 
and they've got their, their general back. Kyrie Irving returned Sunday in a, a 108 86 victory over the 76ers. His numbers were pretty modest, you know, just 12 points on 5 of 12 shooting and 4 assists. You know, his minutes were obviously restricted to, to 17, you know, coming back from oh, that broken knee. It's restricted? But I would assume so. You're not going to get put him out there for 30, 40 minutes a night coming off, you know, his first game since June. I must um, say, restrictions suck. <laughs> it's very smart, though. Yeah, it is. However, the Cavaliers, they are only 6-6 six and six on the road. And I think it's either a gift or a curse that they play the Warriors the night before on Christmas. You know, there's, I could see, honestly, I could see the Blazers winning this game. I could see the Cavs completely blowing us out. It just, I, I'm not sure what to make of this game. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, on paper, the Cavs are so much more talented. But these guys do not quit. There's always the, we aren't giving up factor which I think is why the games that we're going to predict this week are going to be closer than one would think. It's because they don't give up. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think the Cavs will edge it out. You know, I think it really depends. Is Lillard, is McCollum back? If they're back, that gives the crowd a big boost. If neither Lillard or McCollum play, I don't think Portland has any chance. Mm. But I'm assuming that one of the two will be back. Do you want that to happen, though? If they're gimpy, would you want that to happen, or would you want no, them to... No, I want them to play 100%. Okay. 100%. And do you feel that way when you, they're competing? Would you want them to rest, or do you want them to play through whatever ailment? Nope. You always rest unless it's the playoffs. Okay. But the Gavs have to realize, they, they already played this Blazer team. It was just 13 days ago on the 8th. They, they won a close contested game, 105-100 over the Trailblazers. Portland did lead at one point, 51-33 in that first half. So they know the Blazers can, can challenge them, especially with Lillard McCollum, who had 59 points combined in that contest. But we all saw in that second half, Cleveland flipped that switch. They turned it on, especially defensively. I think that's really going to be the calling card of this game. Will the Cavs want to win this game? Will they show up? We've seen them this year kind of walk through games um, as evidenced by that record. They should be a much better record than 18-7. and seven. But I think a guy who's going to be an X-Factor is probably uh, Matthew Dellavedova. He was the key in that game on December 8th. He had 17 points on 12 shots. He had three threes. All of them really felt like huge momentum shifters in Cleveland's favor. And I think he is going to set the tone because Irving's going to play minimal minutes, especially on the second night of a back-to-back, if Kyrie plays at all. And if he sets the tone defensively, I think he's the type of player that his teammates really feed off of, and they can you know, step up their game as well. But if Portland, if Portland is to win this game, it's going to have to be, like you said, ugly and straight hustle. They are going to have to score points off turnovers, they're going to have to get fast break points, and they're going to need second chance points. Unfortunately, they don't do two of those three things very well. They are last in the NBA in points off turnovers. They only get 13, and they only score 10 fast break points, which is 27th. Cleveland gives up exactly 10 fast break points, and they, excuse me, Cleveland does give up the 10 fast break points, but Portland, that's where I'm saying they're going to have to take some chances in the passing lanes. Uh, we saw Crab with a great steal tonight in Atlanta for that that beautiful and one. We're going to have to see he and Aminu just hawking on the wings, taking some chances. That's when an upset happens, it's usually because you took a risk and it paid off. 
That's what they're going to have to do. We're going to need to see a lot of Mason Plumley and a lot of Ed Davis just crashing the glass. What the Blazers do well is they get second chance points. They get about 15 a night, which is third best. But Cleveland, that's that's the strength of theirs. They do a great job of defensive rebounding. They only give up 11 second chance points, which is fourth best. So it's going to really be, you know, strong strength against strength. Can the Trailblazers just gritty this game up? Can they just take it to Cleveland and say, hey, you guys may not want this game, but we want this game. We're back from a road trip. It's the day after Christmas. We, we want to deliver something for our fans. We've lost what, if they lost the New Orleans game, it would be, you know, five straight losses. They're going to be hungry. To me, that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah. Do you think Delhi's minute, like, what do you think his role will be when everyone's healthy? Will he have the Tim Fraser role? Or I think he's a little too valuable to have that role. But what do you think his role will be in April or in the playoffs? What do you think his role will be? You know, that's tough because Cleveland did acquire Mo Williams, who's great for offense. But if, if I'm the Cavs, I'm playing Delhi over Mo Williams. He's might not be as good of a shooter, but he's a better selective shooter in just that defense. Mo Williams plays zero defense. Delvadova might be the best defensive point guard in the game, just on grit alone. Mm. I said before when we were previewing the Cavs, he gets more out of his abilities pound for pound than any player in the NBA. Uh, somebody I really wanted Portland to make that offer for as a restricted free agent last summer because I thought he would just be a great locker room guy um, and set the tone defensively. And in the playoffs, defense wins championships by all accounts. Everyone says, oh, the Warriors shot all those jump shots they went in. They're a great defensive team. Yeah, they're like the number one defensive team. So If you can stop your opponent from scoring, chances are you're going to win the game. And that's what he does. Uh, Kyrie's not the best defender. He's, I think, and to be honest, I think Kyrie's a little overrated. I think he definitely would have helped them in that finals had he been healthy. But Della Vadova plays that championship defense. And if they can find a way to make maybe those two work in the backcourt for the favorable matchup, that's going to be really tough if Delhi can lock down that point guard and let maybe Irving play against a weaker two guard. I mean, it's easy to hide one bad defender in, in an NBA game. If Delhi can get those minutes and shadow Irving's deficiency on defense, that's a huge thing for the Cavs. So going back to that game, I've got, I've got the Cavs winning. I think it's going to be close. But I think it's going to be kind of like a carbon copy of the December 8th game. Portland will probably jump out. Cleveland will weather the storm. And ultimately, the talent will out, mm-hmm. outweigh Portland's. So moving on, Portland, it, it, you know, no rest for the worry. They've got a back-to-back. They'll be in Sacramento. The first matchup between these two teams this year. The Kings, they are just 11-17. and 17, But 8-7 and seven at home. They've beaten quality teams such as Houston, Utah, Dallas, Detroit, and Toronto, all at Sleep Train Arena. It's been an arena over the course of the years dating back to the Drexler days when the Blazers just did not have much success there. So it's another game where you just cannot take lightly and just be like, oh, the Kings, they have the same record. You know, their head cases will beat them. It's going to be a tough game. Oh, it's going to be a gr- it's going to be a grind out, dirty game. I think that. I really like the the Kings roster on paper, like the starting five. I I think Rondo's playing extremely well. Ben McLemore's not what I expected, but he's still a usable NBA player. Caspi is putting in like forty minutes a night and adds a stretch the offense. He's like the three point shooter that gives Cousins room. 
Rudy Gay is actually playing smart this year, and DeMarcus is DeMarcus. He plays very slowly, but when he wants to dominate, he can dominate. I mean, yeah, 25 and 11 right there. He was and one he, of the few that was actually slower than uh, Myers. Yeah, and he's a main reason why they lead the NBA. And points in the paint, they get 48 a night. The Blazers allow 41 and a half. So Blazers are middle of the road at that. The Kings are the best at getting buckets in the paint because they do go down low to Boogie Cousins. But when they do shoot the three, 37%, sixth best in the NBA. So... Portland's going to have to pick their poison. Are they going to want to double? Because no no big that we have can hang with Cousins down low. How but many we also, bigs can hang with him, though? I mean, there are a couple that you could be okay. Like Andre or Whiteside be like, okay, we can let you go one-on-one. We don't want these guys shooting. But Plumlee has shown that bigger centers give him trouble. Um, we talked about it before with Kyle O'Quinn and Vucevic and uh, Whiteside. So the bigger, bulkier guys give our bigs uh, who are more long and lanky, you know, difficulty down low so that's why i've actually got a handful of x factors cousins obviously the 25 and 11 darren collison who you mentioned on the last podcast as well has done fantastic in december averaging 13 and a half points four and a half assists shooting over 50 percent from the field and just two turnovers in 28 minutes a night so he has been a terrific find at the backup point guard maybe the best backup point guard in the nba and then, of course, there's Marco Bellinelli off the bench. We all remember him scoring 30 points in 34 minutes in that preseason victory over the Blazers. Yes, it was preseason, but this dude can shoot the ball. There's a reason he won three-point contest a couple years ago. And D.C., Darren Collison, is in the finishing five. It's Rondo, D.C., Caspi, Gay, and Cousins. So he's getting major minutes. Carl trusts him to be that shooting guard, you got to watch out for DC and his speed because I don't think anyone outside of maybe Russell and Dennis Schroeder are as fast as DC. I see Caspi having a pretty big game. I mean, that that team has weapons. They have so many weapons. Well, they have weapons and they'll, they'll have rest too. They play... Yeah. They played tonight and lost in Washington 113-99, to but overall they've won four of their last six including a very impressive road win in Toronto on Sunday, 104-94. But they, they finished the road trip in Indiana on Wednesday, and then they have until the, tw- the four days. They have four days off. So they could either you know kind of get fat on Christmas and not practice, or they could be well-rested. Um, as, as we said before, the Blazers have played the most games of any team in the NBA. It's going to come down to going to come down to the Kings' mental focus. We know they're pretty pretty loopy. They could be any extreme, good or bad. Are they dialed in? If they're dialed in, I think they beat the Blazers. If not, Portland could sneak a win. However, I think Cousins is just, is just going to be too much down low. Oh, yeah. I think it will be like the Magic game. It'll be close, but I think it'll be too much down low for us to handle. But I will say that there's players like Gortat, Bismack Biombo getting career days off Boogie Cousins. He does not want to play defense. I thought I saw Gortat getting like something in the realm of 27 points and 16 rebounds against Boogie. So he does not want to play defense. But they also have Costa Kufis to play defense if they really want some. It's crazy that Willie Cauley-Stein is not getting any playing time. Mm, there's a lot of red flags about him, especially his desire coming out of the draft. I remember being at that Kings game and... The dude came into camp out of shape completely. 
he literally ran up and down the court four times and had to be asked to sub out of the game. Not no hyperbole, no exaggeration. So who knows if that's gotten better over the course of the year, but the way the Blazers can beat this Kings team is like you said, taking Cousins' weakness and making it your strength. Plumlee has shown to be a fantastic passer. Get Plumlee out of the top of the key in the pick and roll, work some give and goes, run the offense through him. Especially when if McCollum's back, they could do those alley oop plays that they did a couple of games ago. Uh, I believe it was against uh, it was against the Pelicans. We threw those bunch of lobs to, to Mace, and with Mason drawing out Boogie, it opens up driving lanes for people attacking the hoop because Boogie's not going to try and stop you unless it's directly in his line of sight. So if he's out chasing Mason on pick and rolls. That's a that's a, a chance for Hendo to look really good driving against no one. So we both have Portland going zero and three. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean the injuries injuries will decimate a team, and that's what they're doing right now. Every team is going to go through this. It's not it's not just the Blazers now. Every team will eventually go through this. This will this will normalize. It just sucks that the Blazers are going through it with their two best players at the same time. But and during also- Christmas. Yeah, and during the holidays. But this will pass. They'll get back on the floor and play better. But this week's going to suck. And and to be f- quite honest, this is the difficult, the most difficult part of their schedule, and it's only going to get harder even though they do get more games. You know, We'll go in depth on, a, on, on, a, on um, podcasts coming up about the teams. But just looking at January, Memphis, Los Angeles Clippers, Warriors, Thunder, Jazz, I mean, that's that's no easy task, especially for a young, inexperienced team. So, again, ride with us, Rip City. It, it, better days are ahead. It's all about that player development. And just because we say 0-3 doesn't mean it's going to happen. I was right for the first time been, in, what, 13 episodes. Yeah, we've been wrong quite frequently. But I won't say that we're completely wrong every time. There are things that we say that hit. But there's also things like the actual wins and losses that don't. You can catch this podcast on SoundCloud and on Stitcher at Holy Backboard PDX. If you want to send us an email, we're on Gmail at HolyBackboardPDX at gmail.com. And we're always active on Twitter during games at Holy Backboard. Anyway, Rip City, it's been a blast. It's been a pleasure. Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holiday, Happy Kwanzaa. If you're Jewish, I hope you had a great Hanukkah. Uh, this is the the best time of the year, and I hope you can spend these you know next few days with your family, friends, and loved ones, and you know catch a little NBA while you're at it.